Welcome to Her Bro, His Sis, a podcast hosted by sibling ministers focused on topics of faith. We are family addressing the family, the body of Christ. Well, 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 here we are for the month of September, and I feel like we just recorded last month's episode, like last week. Yeah. I don't know how time is flying, <laughs> but I seriously feel like we just were right here doing this a week ago. Yeah. How, how, is this, how is this possible? Uh, man time is i was just sharing with somebody at work i was just like man like it's already like the middle of the month and we just started <laughs> like cool. it's insane yeah. but here we are so in some sense i'm excited because i love these times that we have together so i'm like okay i'm not mad about it yeah. but i'm just wondering like dude we just did this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we are covering the book of Galatians. I am so excited about this book. Um, you know, we cover these things, and I know that we kind of referenced it a little bit last month about how when we do these book studies this year, it's been a blessing yes. that we get to see different things in a way that we haven't really seen before in our own personal studies or even in church congregational studies or anything like that. Um, this one's super special because I think, you know, when you think of the book of Galatians, um, I'm not saying that we all have like the same thing that we always fall back on when you think of Galatians, but for me personally, the first thing that I think of is like the fruit of the spirit, yeah. the works of the flesh, period. You say Galatians, that's what we're, that's what we're hanging the hat on, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> but this time around, I was really floored by God because what I pulled away, um, is a concept that I saw woven through all of the chapters that I really hadn't um, taken it in such a way until this time around. So I was really grateful. So I'm really excited to be able to talk about it today. How was your experience with this one this time around? Yeah. Um, I mean, again, just, just the, uh, the epistles, man. I mean, Paul is just, <laughs> Paul's the man. And yeah, um, I, I think I, this time around, I think I was just, excited and, and encouraged and I just smiled reading it just seeing just again just just how wonderful Paul is and just how gifted and anointed that the Lord allowed him to give us this truth and so I think okay. I just kind of just sat back and was just like okay just give it to me you know what I'm saying like okay. um, so I think there was just a joy in reading uh, this time around I mean obviously I kind of shared some of those things last month about how there was a difference um, and this time I, I wasn't necessarily saying okay wow me but I was just I was just appreciative. So I, I think that's just kind of what I took away this time. It's just, man, like the Lord is just so good. And he really just allowed this man just to continue to just be consistent and concise in, in what he, he delivered. Yeah. So I'm just going to get right in because I cannot wait. I'm just kind of like bursting from the inside. <laughs> Come on, Jeremiah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I'm going to tell you my overarching thing for every single one that I took away from every chapter this time around was the thought of no compromise. Mm. Yeah. And, um, when I first got that, you know, me and definitions, we have a really good relationship going on. And even that part alone, like when I started even just thinking about what it meant to compromise, you know, and why I like definition so much. Cause I see myself and I hear myself when I go back to listen to myself on these, you know, episodes each time and I'm hearing myself break stuff down by the, you know, here's the definition of this and here's, you know, the roots of this. That actually stems from childhood. I don't know if you personally remember this, but I always 
enjoyed reading the dictionary. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if I was personally assigned to doing it, because um, I know we had to do a lot of, you know, ancillary extra reading beyond school, because that was kind of like in our house rule, we had to do stuff. But like, I remember reading the dictionary by choice. I remember reading the encyclopedia by force, but also by choice as yeah. well, and enjoying it. And so I even have friends to this day who call me a human dictionary because not that I know every word, because I'm not saying I know every word, but I use words that other people would not necessarily use in my friend circle's conversations. So, you know, they would joke with me, but really this is kind of why, because I used to read the dictionary. So Mm -hmm. I love to know what words mean and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of, why I consistently do that. But then on top of that, I feel like we need to understand what things really mean when we're saying what we're saying and when we're about to approach a subject. So that's kind of like a backdrop I want us to like look at before we even address what compromise is. Hmm. So compromise, we're gonna look at it as two things. We're gonna look at it as a noun and then we're gonna look at it as a verb. So when you're looking at compromise as a noun, we're talking about blending the qualities of two different things. Hmm. So just already start to let that marinate, <laughs> okay? Because you know we're talking about the Word of God, so this can only go yes. one direction, okay? <laughs> so the synonyms of the noun compromise are to accommodate or negotiate, Ooh. which already do not go together when you're starting to think about the Word of God. We cannot negotiate the Word, hmm. period. And we cannot accommodate anything that would make us not accept the word, right? Then as a verb, compromise means to place in danger, to gamble with, jeopardize, or risk, Hmm. first. And then secondly, it means to reduce the soundness or the effectiveness of. Crazy. Sound doctrine. Reduce (laughs) the soundness or effectiveness of the word of God. Can you imagine that? So you're basically saying... Um, other synonyms of that would be to blemish, to deface, to disfigure, flaw, and tear or spoil. So can you just imagine somebody graffitiing the word of God, like mm-hmm. just taking spray paint and just like spraying over the word of God, just like how people do in buildings all over Cali, all over train cabooses and all that. Um, are you serious? We're, this is what we're doing with the word of God. And so the antonyms of compromise, okay, so... The opposite of that would be to cure, to enhance, to enrich, edit, heal, help, rectify, improve, recondition, remodel, refine, or perfect. These are the things that you're, you're looking to do into your life when you're not compromising. So the word of God, when it is soundly delivered, soundly received, soundly implemented, and allowed to be effective in your life, has the ability and the power to cure, enhance, enrich, heal, help, edify, improve, recondition, refine, refine, and perfect your life. So just off of that, before we get into the book, like, what do you feel like, you know, from just me saying that I'm taking away this concept of no compromise from Galatians? I was hoping you'd ask me that question. because. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say one thing because I really want you to just jump on this because, wow. So already the definitions, I was already like, okay, let's get it. But when you said, okay, when you're talking about the verb, like that was deep. So you you actually used an illustration that I'm just going to just quickly, quickly just speak to. And then I want you to just get it. But you said graffiti. Mm -hmm. 
So the thing that I thought about, because you're talking about like, you know, would you ever just take the Bible and just like write over the Bible? But when you think about it, like we actually do naturally do that in a sense. So if we're graffitiing the word, normally when people graffiti, right, they're writing their own moniker or whatever the case is. So you're writing okay. words. So I would then just say to that in question, and we could just be rhetorical and I want you to just go. But what word are you writing over the Bible? Wow. So we're, we're obviously going to talk about compromise. So I'll just leave that as a, a lingering question that maybe we could just come to at the end. I just want that to just sit as you get into what we do when we compromise, because I think that would just naturally be if we can hang that illustration on our minds of like, we actually are graffitiing by compromising. You know what I'm saying? Like, because you're saying we're defacing, we're reducing the soundness of the Bible. So if so, what are we actually using to accommodate, to accomplish that? So uh, that's all I had. But it was just super deep. And I'm I'm, I'm just excited to see where, where this is going, because that, that right there, that hit me right there. <laughs> Well, we're just going to go straight in. Um, and I just have a few things from each chapter because Galatians does have six chapters. And so just for the sake of um, not being exhaustive, I really wanted to just pull out um, just a few concepts to really just kind of stamp each chapter. Um, so just a few pieces out of chapter one. And from chapter one, I'm going to be looking at the idea of compromising the gospel. And so we're going to look at verses 6, 7, and 10. And I, I just want to address without, like, really going to it, he's writing Paul to the churches of Galatia. So we already know that churches have been established there. He goes to um, check in with people whenever he can check in with them. So his audience is uh, the church of Galatia, the churches in Galatia. So in verse 6 is where we're picking up. He says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the gospel, but is not the gospel at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. So here um, we're looking at the fact that there is the gospel of truth or the gospel of error, the gospel of God or the gospel of man. He's saying that I am, I can that you're turning away so quickly from God. Like you received the truth, like you guys were doing so good. You know, uh, we talked a couple of episodes ago about how he was commending churches for their faith yeah. and, you know, all this stuff, right? So now he's saying like, I can't believe like you're turning away this fast from the truth. Like what happened? Here's what happened. You're following a different, and you're being fooled by people who are intentionally twisting the truth. So what did we just talk about? Compromise. Mm -hmm. These people are intentionally twisting the truth concerning Christ. And do you not know that this is not just an Old Testament, New Testament, uh, back in the day issue? This is a this is a situation that still happens in real life, twenty twenty two. You do know that there are people who are still out here alive and actively, intentionally, deliberately, knowingly twisting the truth concerning Jesus, right? So this still stands today. Um, in First John chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, he says, uh, They are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world heareth them. This is Jesus speaking. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. They are of the world. So they're going to speak the things of the world, and the world hears them. 
the world is going to hear, receive, and accept. It's mm. no different. This concept of hear, receive, obey, it goes for both sides mm. of the of wherever you fall, That's right? Good. That's good. If you are on the side of the truth, you hear, receive, and obey it, you're going to follow it. If you're on the side of what is opposite of the truth, error, lies, deception, falsehood, you're going to hear, receive, and agree, a.k.a. follow and obey, implement that version of truth that you believe is truth. So my concept of that, no matter where you are, you're hearing, receiving, and obeying somebody. Mm. <laughs> so that's why he says, we're of God, and he that knows God hears us. If you know God, you're going to hear us speaking the truth, and the truth is going to resonate with your spirit, and you're going to receive that. And then you're also going to follow and connect with that. But he who's not of God doesn't hear us. And we who are of God know that when we speak to people who don't love God, who are atheists, who have an issue with the Lord, never wanted to love God or used to love God back in the day, but now they're mad at God, whatever their issue is with the Lord, um, we know this by experience because we know that they'll listen with ears, but they're not hearing. We know that they're going to hear what you said, but they're not receiving it. So they have ears to hear, but they hear not. They have eyes to see, but they see not. So he said, by this, we'll know the spirit of the truth and the spirit of error. And then in verse 10, he says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So this is two things that we want to look at. First of all, he's saying, am I now seeking man's approval or God's? So whose approval am I seeking when I am doing what I'm doing in this thing called ministry? I'm not out here for y'all because if you remember how it started, most people were not for me in the beginning because they didn't really think I was for Christ. So it was hard for me to even get up in here. But now that I'm in here, um, how would I deliver you the truth and then now all of a sudden seek to gain your approval? I wasn't trying to gain your approval in the first place when I first delivered you the truth. So I'm just trying to be a faithful servant of the Lord God, right? And then he says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I thought the word still was interesting that it was in there. Mm. Because at some point, we have found ourselves where we were trying to please men. Somewhere along our journey in life. You can go back and reflect on your own when that point was for you. But even if you're saying... Well, in school, I was trying to please men because I was always affected by peer pressure. Or when I was young in this field, um, I was trying to please people because I was naive and novice. And, you know, I really wanted to just be accepted before I really got comfortable and confident on my own. Whatever the case was, he said here, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ because at some point, when you decide that you are seeking the approval of God and that no matter what somebody says or anybody says or does concerning what you're doing, if you know that you're following the spirit of God, then it doesn't matter what anybody has to say. Hmm. So that's why you have to break with that whole idea of, well, I don't care what anybody has to say. This is just like when he said in the Old Testament to set yourself like, to set your face like a flint. Do not be afraid of their faces. He said this in Jeremiah. Do not be afraid of their faces and set your face like a flint because people are going to come against you, but they will not succeed. They will not prevail. 
They're going to come against you. They're going to fight against you. But I am with you, says God. So go forth and say what I'm sending you to say. Go forth and do what I'm sending you to do. And this is the same thing that Paul was pretty much feeling like, like, hey, I'm an apostle of God. I know that he sent me. I know that he called me. Um, I'm not out here because some man appointed me. I'm not out here because of a popularity thing. And now we have too much hijinks going on in the church where people are just slapping titles on people. Friends of so-and-so can get a hookup and a title and a position and this and that. So you're apostles made by man or people and titles made by man. But you're seeking approval of man and you're not seeking the approval of God. Mm. So I can go a lot of directions with that, but I just want to give you an opportunity to just jump in there and see what you have to say about this point of compromising the gospel. Yeah. Um, so I definitely saw... Um, the compromise, um, the same way that you did, which is, you know, carnality, you know, it was, you know, that, that contrast of man versus God. And what I liked about, I think you, when you read verse six, um, and it said, I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon. Like it didn't take much <laughs> for them to turn away, which was interesting. Um, and I love the parallel. I was actually writing notes, uh, when you said that here, receive, obey, like that's applicable on both sides. So the fact that you have the two, opposing worldviews um, and the compromise, the tendency to compromise. What I saw about that and what was interesting to me is that obedience is the finality of what you heard and received, right? So uh-huh. if you hear and receive, you're naturally going to obey what you heard and received. So if you heard and received Christ, it, 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 for me, it kind of goes back to what we talked about in, in Colossians last month. But like, you can't plant Christ and water the devil, right? So if you're uh-huh. hearing and receiving the word, but your obedience is to something else, you didn't hear and receive the word. <laughs> because, yes. because your obedience is actually the, the finality and, and the acceptance. Like, and I'm glad you used the word acceptance in, in this particular passage. Like, You heard, you received, so now you're accepting that. You're turning away from something you accepted. So now you have to actually understand it as you're turning away from something that you heard and received. So I love that picture. And and for some reason today, we're so illustrative with these points, which is making it so profound. Because, again, like he said that you're turning away to a different gospel. And what I loved is that there's actually only one gospel. <laughs> and so what we know about gospel is the gospel. We always define it as the good news. Um, so okay. if we're defining it as the good news, what good news have you placed your faith in that outweighs Christ? Because there's uh-huh. no other gospel other than the gospel of Christ, but yet you're turning away to another gospel that you're actually sticking and placing your faith in and being, obedient to so what beyond christ are you obeying <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. like you're a, you're now making yourself a slave to something that you you're you've walked away from the gospel of christ that's what i loved uh-huh. about the the picture that he was playing and, and that'll probably come up in in, in other chapters because he really hits that in in kind of a detailed fashion um but for me, I, I kind of went back to First Corinthians 3 when I looked at this chapter because um, you're talking about just the approval of man and, and, and not the approval of God. But First Corinthians 3 was like a perfect picture of this because, you know, that's when they were having the arguments about, you know, well, some follow Paul, some follow Apollos. And he was just like, mm-hmm. hey, like it's not about us. You know what I'm saying? He was like, hey, right. one, one plants, one waters, but God got the increase. So it has nothing to do with what I did. Like you can say I'm a great preacher and Apollos is a wonderful teacher. Yeah, but we're preaching Christ, so it has nothing to do with us, you know what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, the Lord is, is the one that's actually growing it, so don't even look at me in that situation. Uh-huh. Um, so um, 
I actually took from this passage, Galatians uh, 8 and 1, 8 and 9, and it says, But if even we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, as we have said before. Uh -huh. So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So my point to this um, and my takeaway was cursed is the contrary. Like you have to pick a wow. side. So if there's only two sides, like which side are you picking? So he was very dogmatic in the fact that his approach to the gospel was like, hey, I don't even get a chance, <laughs> you know, to, to get okay. this wrong. Like I have to do this. And so I love how he, again, his salutation was like, hey, I'm an apostle, not sent from man, but I'm sent from God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and nobody give me this but the Lord. So I have to like, I have to own up to him. But then secondly, you know, just as, as you pointed out in verse 10, um, is, you know, he has to be a servant of, of God. And then when you go into eight and nine, um, he says, even if an angel of heaven preached to you anything different. So he's basically saying like, not even anybody that comes down from the kingdom of God gets to mm -hmm. say anything different other than the kingdom of God. You know what I'm saying? So like, don't get it twisted with who it is, you know, just like as you're looking at man, you say, man, Apollos was great. I'm great. Don't look at us because when you look at us, that's when you begin looking into the carnality of the faith and not the fact that there is no carnality in faith. You know what I'm saying? So that's the mm -hmm. twisting. And so uh, just a final point is, you know, we hear it say it all the time, like practice what we preach. That's not necessarily just a command because you're supposed to operate off of your opinions. So whatever it is that you set your mind to, mm. that's what you're supposed to be practicing. So if you're practicing faith, that's because you thought about faith and you placed your faith in faith. So you're, you can only practice what you've heard and received. And if you're now practicing something else, that's why he said, like, how is it that you were able to turn away from that? Because you're supposed to be practicing what was given to you and what you were obedient to. Now you're no longer practicing that. So now I have to question, what are you? Because this is what you're right. supposed to be. And I'm having some serious concerns about what it is that you're obeying now. So I'll leave it there. But yeah, there, there was just a lot there in terms of just that whole compromise of uh, the flesh versus the kingdom of God. Messing with you, I'm telling you right now, we could have done the whole episode off of this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to leave it alone because I know what trouble we can get into. Yeah. <laughs> there's always a future. So, you know, I'm going to leave some, some scraps for the future. Yes. So uh, we're going to move on to chapter two. <laughs> and here I'm taking away the idea of compromising the fellowship. Okay, and so I want to look at uh, verses... 4, 5, and then 11 through 14. And starting at verse 4, it says, My concern was because of the false brothers, those people masquerading as Christians who had been secretly smuggled in to the community of believers. They had slipped in to spy on the freedom which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us back into bondage under the law of Moses. But we did not yield to them even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel would continue to remain with you in its purity. So that, when I first read that, reminded me of June when we were talking about the book of Jude and contending for the faith, mm -hmm. fighting for the faith, and some of the stuff that we had talked about with false brethren. And so I will just reiterate um, Jude, which is only one chapter, verses 3 and 4, which said, Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share, but now I find I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. 
The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So I love how you spoke on that. So if y'all did not hear this, or if you did, you can go back and listen to what he had to say (laughs) on this episode of June. Um, But I love this because you had talked about this part when um, you said, "I I wanted to write about this, but... I decided that it was more needful for me to write to you about this. So I wanted to talk about this, but this was more important to talk about. And then he said, I'm urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted to you because there are ungodly people that worm their way into your churches or worm their way into your life, period. So even if it's not just the church building, there are ungodly people that are going to challenge the truth that's been deposited into you. It's not just on Sunday mornings or whenever else you go into the building. Um, but there are going to be ungodly people who are going to worm their way into your situation to present um, gospels that are not gospels at all, which is what he said. So even in any translation that you look at when they say that, he's essentially saying it's not a gospel at all. Just like you just said, a different gospel, which there is no other gospel at all. And so, again, I have to say this part that just like I said in chapter one, that there are still people today who are deliberately twisting the truth concerning Christ. There are still people today masquerading as Christians. There are still people today who um, smuggle their way into congregations of fellowships of the church. Um, And what is their purpose? Because as he said here, in order to bring you back into bondage. So even though we don't have people in this state trying to bring you back under the law of Moses, there are people that want to twist the word, that want to uh, pervert the word, that want to change what God is saying or dilute, or as we already talked about before, reduce the soundness or effectiveness of, and as you wonderfully put it in that picture of spiritual graffiti, um, they want to rewrite the gospel or modernize it um, for today. To where what he said is not what he still means. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it says. Or that's what he meant then. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And not just as a person. He being the living word that he is means that his word is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. So what he said stands forever. Period. (laughs) So just have that in your mind as we go to verse 11 through 14. This goes to Peter. When Peter visited Antioch, he caused the believers to stumble over his behavior. So I confronted him to his face. This is Paul saying he he confronted Peter. He enjoyed eating with the Gentile believers who didn't keep the Jewish customs up until the time Jacob's Jewish friends arrived from Jerusalem. When he saw them, he withdrew from his Gentile friends, fearing how it would look to them if he ate with Gentile believers. And so because of Peter's hypocrisy, Many other Jewish believers followed suit, refusing to eat with Gentile believers. Even Barnabas, Paul's partner, was led astray by their hypocritical behavior. So when I realized they were acting inconsistently with the revelation of the gospel, I confronted Peter in front of everyone. So this in itself, um, we're looking at godliness and ungodliness. We're looking at, first of all, you have people who are trying to infiltrate communities of believers with an intention and a purpose. Obviously, they're trying to twist and and dilute the truth of the word of of God, but then you have people who believe the truth 
And in one minute, they want to be around the fellowship. They are good around people. But then when other people come around or certain people come around, we see Peter's example here. So I don't want to go too farther into that. I want to give you an opportunity to just kind of tell us some stuff on uh, this point here of compromising the fellowship. Or unless you saw something different, like what did you get out of that chapter? No, I saw the same thing. Um, and I'm just going to kind of piggyback off some stuff you said or kind of um, – um, attack some of the stuff you said because I, I loved it. Um, so yeah, my, my contrast um, and what I saw was was um, you know trying to protect the unity of the church and and you know to prevent division. Um, and what I we talk a lot about this, and I, I know you kind of bring it up that I I have such a heart for the church in terms of like we within the church struggle with supporting people who don't attend our church. <laughs> and and what okay. I mean by that is that, you know, it's like our church is, there's such a pride to our church. And when other people don't do church the way that we do church, that becomes an attack to that other church. And the okay. reason why I'm saying this, and I, and I hope that those who are listening are, are mature believers, because this is really where we have to understand what Jude was saying um, and, and what Paul was, was referring to in, um, in chapter 2. He's saying, he's talking about false brothers. So that means, like you said, fake Christians. So we're not mm-hmm. specifically referring when I talk about attacking the church. Again, he's talking to the church in Galatia. So I'm assuming he's talking to believers to be wary of false believers, <laughs> right? Right. So then when Jude speaks, um, when he gets to Jude, he's saying, um, I wanted to talk to you about this. What he wanted to talk about was the salvation we share, which means there is a unity to what we're talking about. But then he says, I'm urging you to defend the faith. That's disunity. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So basically he's saying like, what I wanted to talk about was the fact that, hey, like we have a commonality that we can enjoy and, and appreciate and be positive about, but I have to stop because now we're having to defend ourselves. And you don't defend yourself from friends, you defend yourself from enemies. So if right. you look at Galatians 2, you should be fighting people who ain't in the faith. If you're fighting people who are in the faith, then I think you have a distorted view of what it is that you're defending because we should be loving the people. And and I love how um, you brought up 11 through 14 because he said, look, I had to confront Peter. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Because he was wilding. And Peter was, was a gully man, but he was wilding. So he said, hey, because of his behavior, I had to let him know some stuff. Uh-huh. So his primary goal was defending the faith. So... When you're defending your faith against non-believers, obviously that's going to look one way because those are enemies of the cross. But to people who are in the faith, Galatians 6.1, which I believe we'll get into later, talks about, hey, if anyone in, in here is stumbling, like, go to him gently. So and so we need to correct in love and in gentleness. But we need, we need to make sure that we're understanding who it is that we're referring to because we're destroying the body of Christ by how we're handling some of the things that we handle because of our kind of our carnality. And so I think when he was looking at this, he's like, Hey, like, first of all, y'all walking away from the faith. So I need to let y'all know some things, but understand that there's a unity that we have to make sure that we don't destroy because we can become an offense to the faith if we distort the gospel. So if we keep the gospel, the main thing, like that's what we'll keep. And so I loved that piece of it because the thing that was important about this was not necessarily it sanctified. He was talking about sanctification. And so 
when we talk about the gospel, like there's only one way to heaven, which is through Christ, right? And so mm-hmm. that's the one thing they wanted to keep the main thing. But sanctification is something that we all need to do. And so I think their process of getting to that, they kind of got off track when it came to the gospel. But he's basically mm-hmm. saying, look, like, let's make sure that we keep the main thing, the main thing. And when it's not the main thing, we need to call that out because we need to know what the faith is. Like we, we talked about in Jude, we need to know what the faith is to be able to, to combat what's not faith. But just like he said, hey, they allowed me to to preach to the Gentiles and I wasn't preaching circumcision. I was preaching Christ. Like he still got the right hand of fellowship, which means even in their differences, there was fellowship. So we can't mm-hmm. distort fellowship just because we don't necessarily see eye to eye in our methodology. The gospel has to be central. And so as long as the gospel is central, even when it's not, that's when we're confronting that. But in our differences, mm-hmm. we need to allow the freedom and the liberty for people to be not like us as long as it doesn't distort the gospel of Christ. So that's what, kind of what I was mm-hmm. gathering from that and kind of the examples that you brought forth. So the thing out of these first two chapters I think is interesting. When we go back to our foundational definition of compromise is that in chapter one, he talked about um, the believers in the church churches being fooled by those who are deliberately twisting the truth and when you think about that first definition blending to the qualities of two different things that's a twist Mm -hmm. right so you're twisting the truth and you're twisting untruth um when you look at like going to an ice cream place and they ask you what kind do you want chocolate vanilla or a twist when you get a twist you have two things blended together in the same thing and you're going to consume that right then when we look at chapter two, we're seeing that he talked about um, the false brothers bringing in things. And he said at the end of that, we did not yield to them for a moment because they've been trying to do this for a while, even to us. But we did not yield to them so that the truth could be would continue to remain with you. So they didn't submit to it. And they're basically trying to encourage you to do the same thing, like um, stand firm. Do not accept what they're trying to blend or don't accommodate them. Don't negotiate the truth with what they're trying to say. Because even in that, that Jude one, he's saying, he said there, the ungodly people um, have wormed their way in there to basically tell you that God's grace allows you to live immorally. And I know that you and I have had our own separate uh, conversations about how there are things that are commonly accepted in churches. And they're just saying, like, the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God. But the grace of God is not, <laughs> that's not the um, the eraser for everything. It's not the, the the covering for everything to just say, like, we are allowed to live and practice these things. Because like, I think if, if anybody could take anything away from this entire year of everything that we've talked about so far, one of the top, the top subjects or takeaways, as you could say, from everything we've talked about is we have put out there that you have to practice holiness. And it's exactly what you just said. Like you're basically practicing what you heard and received. So you're either going to practice doing right or you're going to practice doing wrong. You're going to practice doing evil or you're going to practice doing good. There's no in between. You can't practice a twist because if you're doing both, you're not doing good, period. Because God is not accepting the good with the bad. He Mm -hmm. said either make the tree good and it's fruit good or make it evil and it's fruit going to be evil. You're not about to do both. So I think that that is something that we come back to that beginning of seeing the two qualities being introduced that, yes, there are people that want to say that you can live immorally and still be godly on purpose, you know, but not coming out of immorality and and going towards godliness. They're saying that you can still 
do the X, Ys, and Zs that we have covered numerous times that you flat out know is wrong, but when you find someone, as Timothy talks about, that will tell you things to scratch your itching ears, the smooth things that don't challenge you, that don't make you break away with the things that displease the Lord. You have to make a decision. That just kind of goes back to what we said in chapter one about he's saying seeking approval of man or God. Um, and sometimes the approval of man is your own self. Nobody else has the co-sign to you that your habit of, you know, substances or other things are acceptable. If you by yourself and nobody can tell you different, you're still a man who approves of yourself. And it's not about you approving you. It's about what is acceptable to God. Like Romans says, chapter 12, what proving what's acceptable to God. So we have to think about that. Yeah, okay, just, to, on. Oh, just, just real quick. Um, I know that, I mean, obviously we'd be remiss if we left off uh, Galatians 2.20, <laughs> um, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Um, oh, just, just to kind of piggyback <laughs> off of what you just said um, about, um, you know, not, not necessarily, you know, uh, playing with the grace of God. Um, I love how he prefaces Galatians 2.20 by uh, 17, 18, and 19. As he says, mm-hmm. but if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners as Christ in the minister of sin. May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And then he says, I've been crucified with Christ. So we, we quote that I have been crucified with Christ. But understanding the fact that the context of this is he actually had to check somebody who was out here being hypocritical. And he said, look, justification we know comes from God sanctification is our personal holiness and, and our response to the justification. So he said, if I'm seeking to be justified in Christ, but then I'm still being a sinner, like, does that mean that Christ was a sinner and like he's ministering sin in my life? He says, that can't be the case. So he's saying, uh-huh. if I rebuild what I once destroyed, which was our old life, and we talked about that last month, I proved myself to be a transgressor for through the law, I died to the law so I might live to God. So if our focus remains on the gospel, which is Christ-focused, then we shouldn't be having all these other ancillary things that we're pinning our hand on to say. And again, for them, it was circumcision and and all of that because they had the Jewish and Gentile situation going on. Like he's saying, look, we don't have to be circumcised in order to be in the faith. And you're focused so much on this circumcision that you're not allowing Christ's payment (laughs) to be enough. Uh And that's what right. that's what the whole message is. So even today, now you're talking about like we're playing with the grace of God. Like, is Christ enough? And if we're saying, I, "Hey, I'm, I'm crucified with Christ," like we we we'll quote that, we'll throw that on the t-shirt. <laughs> what does that mean then? That means that if you're crucified with Christ, what did you crucify? <laughs> you know what I'm right. So you gotta let that go if, if that's what you say. And so, um, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll go. On. I think that's hilarious because even when you think about that, like I remember. Um, Pastor Bruce used to say when he did baptisms, buried with Christ, raised to walk in the newness of life. So, okay, if you were buried with Christ, like, what got buried with it? You know, like, if you're in the newness of life, if it's the same life you had before you were buried with Christ, you ain't dead. You really did? (laughs) You ain't dead? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's funny. And the last thing I just want to say, because I, um, when you mentioned this about um, Peter getting checked, I think that it's, just interesting to note that there was no fallout from that, you know, because he was in the wrong. So it was not mm-hmm. like he, you know, fell out with Paul because he had to get confronted. Like, that's a godly confrontation. Yes. And it wasn't um, 
a, a scene that was like a sinner's, um, you know, rivalry or anything. Like he confronted him the way that he ought to be confronted, and he was in the spirit. So he he was like, look, like I have to do this in front of everybody because you're doing what you did in front of everybody, and like literally people are being impacted by your hypocrisy right now. So yes. I have to check you in front of everybody. So my main man, man left the okay. faith because you messing around. Right. Yeah. So he's like, everybody can get this, and so we have to understand and be spiritually mature enough that somebody can check you. I know we have said it jokingly to each other, but we're also serious. Like if you need to check me, check me, like for real, because. People should be able to check you in love and tell you the truth when you're not right. If you're doing something that's not right, like, why is it that you can't be told anything and everything is always about feelings and sensitivity? Like, the Lord rebuked Peter. Yeah. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Like, he always had him with him. He was in the inner circle, but like, Jesus rebuked him, you know, and his feelings had nothing to do with it because it's not about your feelings, it's about the spirit and like what you're doing. And, you know, if you're not walking in the spirit of God, like you have to be confronted, period. Yeah, true. So we're going to move on to chapter three. Um, and this one just short and sweetly, at least on my end, um, I just took out of this a compromise of the faith. Um, so just looking at verses one and three that says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Verse three, how foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human efforts? So the first thing that uh, came to my mind when I read this was Proverbs 1 and 7. And that says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That last part is like my favorite piece of that verse. Because fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you're being called a fool, spiritually speaking, this is what they're saying. That you despise wisdom, which is walking in the, or applying, living out the understanding and the instruction, the comprehension of what you have been delivered. So you basically do not want to be told anything. You don't want knowledge. You don't want instruction and you don't want to comprehend, which is the understanding. Um, So when you reject that, you are, according to the Bible, a fool. And so he's at this point calling you a foolish Galatians because you have rejected. You have shown that you despise the wisdom and instruction that was delivered to you by the truth that was initially presented to you because he's asking you to consider who came in here after us to bewitch you that you do not obey the truth that we deliver to you. Mm-hmm. So he's asking, like, he knows because he already told you in chapters one and two that there were some. And then he told you in chapter two, they were false brothers. So he knows who they are, but he's now asking you to examine how did you let this happen? (laughs) Right. Um, And then verse three, again, reiterating your foolish nature. How foolish can you be? How is this possible that after you started your new life in the spirit, like I just talked about with that baptism, um, how is it and why is it that you're now trying to become perfected by your own human efforts? You cannot be perfected when you're compromising. Because remember, when we talked about compromise as a verb, 
the antonym, which is the opposite of compromise, the last definition we said was perfect. Mm -hmm. So in that aspect, he's saying that you have placed your faith in danger. You have placed the truth in danger. You've gambled with the faith. You've jeopardized it. And it's clearly been reduced the soundness and effectiveness of that you have allowed this to happen to where you now think that what they told you can happen to improve your life, to help your life, to refine your life can happen outside of the spirit, which outside of the word of God. What more can you add to that? (laughs) And I'm passing the buck to you. I'm still right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Um, Okay, so you you talked about verses one and three, mm-hmm. and the word that was in both of those was the word foolish. And I love how you talked about what a fool was. If if I if I could look at it candidly, they're foolish because they know better. Like you had the truth, so he's basically saying like, who tricked you? Because if you know the truth. Like, what is the gospel? Like, if somebody's preaching to you, like, how did you get saved? Because somebody presented the gospel to you. Like, we always say, that, yeah, like, mm-hmm. you know, someone preached the gospel to me. I heard the gospel. I got saved. What is the gospel? Like, what is the story or the picture of the gospel? So because you know what the gospel is, that's the crazy part about this whole thing is you got saved by somebody telling you the gospel, <laughs> you know, and in verse one, it says, mm-hmm. before whose whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified, like you saw <laughs> you not only heard the gospel, you saw the gospel, right? Yeah. So the fact that you actually were a witness to that, like it, it makes it so crazy to to see this because your faith was placed in something that you understood. So when you hear the truth, but then you're tricked, like that was the whole point we were talking about uh, last month about you need to be deep so you don't get, um, you know, when you have roots, don't you don't get, get routed, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. when you're deep, you right. can't get routed. Get yeah. rooted so you don't get routed. So the fact that when you understand the truth, like that should be able to cement in you the ability to be able to now say when something comes against you that's contrary to what you already understood, you should be able to have enough in you to be like, no, that don't, that don't sound right. That's the whole point of like staying connected to the word of God, staying connected to fellowship right because when you're not you're allowing things to come in and you and that was the whole point of jude right is that you can't defend the faith if you don't even know what the faith is so Uh if you have the truth in you you should be able to know what's not truth based on what you know right (laughs) and so in this particular chapter um you know in verse one and three they were talking about the fact that they were being perfected by fleshly things so they were trying to again keep going back to things like circumcision and the law and being obedient in the flesh. The okay. great thing that he's trying to help us understand is that Christ was enough, which means that he don't need you. <laughs> There's nothing you can uh-huh. do to add to your salvation. So salvation is his, sanctification is yours. So if you let him save you, now you can do your part, but the work is already done if you've accepted Christ. So here receive obey. You heard the gospel, you receive the gospel, you obey the gospel. That's salvation. By believing in it, but working at it is your finished part and your acceptance of the fact that you allowed Christ to do his part. So if our faith is Christ alone through faith alone, remember the last thing that Christ said on the cross. It is finished. finished. (laughs) So if if it's done, you can't add to salvation. 
you can <laughs> you can complete your salvation through sanctification, but you can't add to your salvation. So Wow. The the You're blowing my mind right now. The scriptural confirmation to that is in chapter three and it's verse fifteen. He says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. So again, he ratified it by saying it is finished, which means he his sole purpose for coming here was to make this covenant with us in salvation. So if that's done, there's nothing else we can do to complete that work. So he's basically saying to y'all, stop being tricked because y'all already were told that. But now you're letting somebody come in here and say, oh, you need to do X, Y, Z, you need to do this, you need to do this, or else you ain't saved. Your salvation and your your confidence in salvation should be in the fact that you believe that Christ was crucified and rose for your sins. So if you trust that, that's all you need to put your trust in. And he's using Abraham as an example to say that we are sons of Abraham by way of our belief, because just as Abraham believed the father and was counted as righteousness, all we have to do is accept and believe, and that's counted as righteousness. So you can't add to your righteousness through that. You now have to walk out your righteousness, <laughs> which is sanctification, but you can't add to that righteousness by saying like, oh, yeah, if I do these things, I'm saved. If I do these things, God will accept me. No, but there is an obedience to that, which is sanctification, is becoming more Christ-like, and you've signed on to that mindset and philosophy of becoming more like christ but that doesn't make you more saved <laughs> if that makes sense so i think that's what he was trying to get to and and that's what i loved about this particular thing is that we've compromised the faith by trying to be lawful in our faith and all we have to do is just be accepting and thereby we would because we can't apart from christ we can't obey the law so even trying to do it we're going to fail because there's nothing we can do to do that so he's saying put your trust in christ which if you already said you did that, that's all you need. Don't let anybody trick you in believing that because you were already told that and you were walking in that until you were duped. So here, let me just, cause, okay, this is unfolding as you're speaking to me. This kind of connects the idea of the, the compromise of the faith and the compromise of the fellowship and the gospel all into one harmony. Um, when you look at the idea of the word of God, because if you look at the part of saying, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Hmm. And human effort cannot perfect the spirit. The human effort is not going to bring about the sanctification that you're talking about. Like, yes, it is ours to do, but human effort is not going to do that. Um, we need the word. And we often talk about this. We recently talked about it. I think even today, we talked about it earlier today, about how it's without the word of God, you cannot be in the spirit. You cannot do the transformation apart from the word of God. Like none of this is possible without the word. And I know that you love to reference Hebrews 4 and 12. The word of God is living. It's powerful. It's effective. Um, it penetrates the separate soul and the spirit. It's able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. Um, and so when you look at that idea of the word being powerful enough to transform, mm -hmm. If you're not applying the word that you believe, you're not going to be transformed. And the only way to transform is by association, fellowship with it. And so we've talked about these different um, nuggets at different points over the course of the year. But if you bring them all together in that sense and just say that the word is the gospel, which is the truth, me having fellowship with the word, with the Lord himself, okay? And then me, which the seed is the word, the seed is the faith, 
um, me allowing the faith, my belief in the faith, and me accepting these seeds of the gospel to have root in my life, what is my job with the seeds that have been given to me of the gospel to allow them to produce fruit in my life? And so that all kind of ties in together. You're, talk, you're talking about sanctification because if I'm fellowshipping with the word, making time to be with God, like by association, you start to become more like who you're around the most. And so when we look at the other ideas of the false brethren, those who are coming in who are not, um, who want to twist the word, the, the people who are really evil and their intentions, they're not good brethren, right? They're not brethren that you want to be around. Paul was even talking to people um, numerous times, talking to them about imitate me as I imitate Christ, follow me as I follow Christ. So he's inviting you that you're welcome that as I'm following the Lord, do what I'm doing. He says in Philippians, the things that you've seen and heard, um, all these things that you've known in me to do, do these things that you've seen and heard and known of me to do, and the God of peace will be with you. So if you do what you've seen and heard or received from me, heard, received, and obeyed, if you do these things, God of peace will be with you. It's, uh, it's super important that we understand that even outside of the, the physical people that we allow ourselves to hang around, if we're not first and foremost fellowshipping with the Lord God himself, a.k.a. through his word, none of this even matters because the seed is the word of God. And that's where the faith is even going to spring from because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? Like I'm trying to paint that picture, but it, as you were saying it, it all came together to me that we can't become perfected apart from the word yes. because the word is going to perfect us. It's going to be transforming us by the renewing of our mind, but we have to subject ourselves to it on a consistent basis in order for that transformation to happen. It's not going to be because we said, okay, I'm setting this goal to do Z, Y, and X. And then Z, Y, and X is done. And I checked the box because that's not what gets us the result. The result is becoming Christ-like, not doing Christ-like looking things. Because there's a lot of people that do Christ-like looking things that their hearts are far from them. He's going to say on that day, you, many of you are saying, Lord, Lord, and I'm going to say I never knew you. Yeah. Many of you can say you're generous, but you hate people. Mm. Um, you just like to give because it looks good, or you like to give because it benefits you. Maybe you get a tax cut or something like that, but your heart is not you know, close to me. So you can do godly looking things to have an appearance before men, just like the Pharisees, and he's going to say, you have the reward that you wanted, right? I'm done with that. Yeah, but that's, and, that's just all I wanted to share. No, that's so good. I know we didn't want to hang our hat too long on this, but I, I think this is a healthy conversation because the fact that you just said that example you gave about being generous but hating, that's actually what the goal was and why they hung their hat on the law because they could basically say, hey, I gave, so I'm good, right? I checked a box. Mm -hmm. so I should be all right. But... <laughs> If you read uh, verse 24 um, and 25 in Galatians 3, it says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith, not the law. But, under, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So the law, um, I believe it was verse... I just lost it. Um, 
I can't remember which, which verse it was, but it was in this chapter where he basically was talking about the fact that he was pointed to the law for the purpose of basically being like he used the law as a means of bringing him to Christ, not necessarily as a mm-hmm. means to say like, hey, I'm saved by performing the law. And that's Old Testament. That was the responsibility. But in Hebrews would be a beautiful study and won't necessarily go there today because there's just so much in there. But the fact that you have the Old Testament, which was the Old Covenant, and then the New Testament, which is the New Covenant, Christ's entire purpose was to smash the Old Covenant. And <laughs> Hebrews 8, 7 says, uh, for if that, well, go back to, to 6. It says, now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. So he's talking about the fact that, hey, back in the day, we used to have to kill these goats um, every time you sinned, all that. Like now I'm bringing Christ, which is a perfect substitution. And then in verse seven, it says, for if that first covenant, again, talking about the old law and all of that, if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. So. The fact that Christ came, if you can just hang your hat and focus specifically on, which is why he was arguing with him about circumcision, is because Christ is the better covenant. If you could just focus on the fact that if you have faith in Christ, you're trying to do all these other things. For one, you can't do it <laughs> apart from Christ. So you need Christ anyways. But two, the fact that you're only trying to say, well, because I did these things, like I'm good. He was basically coming to say there was holes in that covenant. This is why I need to bring another one. And that's why I had brought up the scripture earlier about a man-made covenant, like, until that one is done away with, like, that is, the, that's what we hang our hat on. But now that Christ came and completed and fulfilled a new covenant, we only need Christ. So all this, like, trying to be good and trying to be perfect, is it helpful? Yes. I mean, obviously, once you're in Christ, your, your heart's going to change. You're going to be different. You're going to be generous for the right reasons, right? Your motives are going to be right. But that ain't going to get you to heaven by having right motives. The only thing that's going to get you to heaven is, is to Christ. So his whole thing is like, recognize that we preach the fact that the covenant is here you don't have to be and perform the way the jewish customs were and all that and there's so many different like if we looked at this systematically i mean we can go to romans we can hang out here in hebrews we can go back to the old testament where we saw what they did like there's so many examples of what they did and why they did it and Mm -hmm. if we just stuck here and just said hey like we don't need that anymore like it's all about christ don't be tricked <laughs> like all of this is is so in sync with one another that there's just so many examples we could point to to say that christ is enough and he's just basically saying like you don't need the law and god you just need god like if you can just uh-huh. focus on the fact that that's all you need like we can get somewhere so yeah i'll, I'll shut up but yeah I, i'm just so i'm fueled by just okay. the, the excitement of like we get caught up in all of that. Like we want to do these things to please God, but it's actually only pleasing man because God is like, you please me by serving me. <laughs> like, Don't worry about all these other things. And you're pleasing uh-huh. man by basically saying like, Oh yeah, if I get circumcised, like circumcision was, was appeasing the Jewish custom, not appeasing God. And so if he said, right. you don't need to be circumcised, then we can leave that alone. So. Right. Yeah. All right. Now, um, I'm just going to say I'm behaving myself, but this is so rich. I'm behaving myself, but this is so good. <laughs> so thank you already. We're halfway through. Um, we're going to look at chapter four. Um, and for this one, I pulled out the idea of um, a compromise, compromising the heritage. And so I'm going to look at verses 8, 9, 14, and through 16. Um, Starting at verse 8, it says, Before we knew God as our Father, we were unwitting servants to the powers that be, which are nothing compared to God. 
But now that we truly know him and are intimately known by him, why would we for a moment consider turning back to those weak and feeble principles of religion as though we were still subject to them? And in Amplified, it says uh, the weak and worthless elemental principles of religions and philosophies to which you want to be enslaved all over again. I thought that was necessary to say because it said at the end, you want to be enslaved all over again. Mm. <laughs> so um, that just brought me to uh, Romans chapter 6, 13 to 14, which says, do not go on offering members of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but offer yourselves to God in a decisive act as those alive raised from the dead, that baptism coming back again, to a new life and your members, all of your abilities, sanctified, set apart as instruments of righteousness yielded to God. For sin will no longer be a master over you since you are not under law as slaves, but un under grace as recipients of God's favor and mercy. And then verse 14 through 16 says, but even though, my condition tempted you to reject me. You did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I am sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me, given them to me if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I am telling you the truth? So the idea of compromising the heritage came to me from the beginning because it talked about in the beginning before we knew God as our father, we were unwilling, unaware, we were ignorant servants to what would have been the powers of Satan, um, which is clearly nothing compared to God. And so John chapter 8, 42 and 44 came to my mind for that one when Jesus was talking to um, the Pharisees. And they had talked about they were children of Abraham. And he was like, well, Abraham can't be your father because if he was, you would love me and you don't. Mm -hmm. And so in verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. And in 44, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and you do the deeds of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. So, again, there's no gray area when it comes to the gospel. We cannot look at uh, parental heritage and wonder who is the father. We're not going on Maury. We're not going on Jerry. We're not doing no paternity <laughs> test. Like, the Bible tells us the results of the paternity test. You are not the father. You are not the father. So it's either Satan is your father or the Lord is your father. Now, God is the creator of all, but the paternity part, because he has given us the choice to choose, you know, he is like an open, ready to adopt anybody who wants to have him as their spiritual parent, like period. He says to receive the engrafted word and receive him. Anybody that wants to come to him, he's ready to accept you and receive you. He had loved you first. He did all the things initially. He paid everything that needed to be paid. Like, you don't have to do anything but just accept the fact that he wants to be your father and bless your life. Um, but the devil, you know, we have already talked about numerous times throughout this season that the devil was the one who was in charge of our lives at one point in time. We were all under his rule. We were all under his influence at one point in time. And so... We were doing the deeds of our father when we were serving him at that time. 
And even though we didn't all admit or confess him as our father, when God is not your father, Satan is. Mm. It's just black and white. And I'm just, I'm saying me too. I'm not saying everybody except me, her bro and his sis. I'm saying everyone, including me. If God was not my father, then the devil is my father. Yep. When God was not my father, <laughs> the devil was my father. Do you That's, understand yeah. that? <laughs> so don't get mad at me and be like, I can't believe... Believe the word, because this is what the word is saying. So when I was doing the things of the world and the deeds of my father, I looked just like my daddy, the devil. Mm. So if I was doing the things that he did and I looked like him, according to the word, now that God has adopted me and I have given my life to him and I have gone down in that watery grave and I came up in the newness of life and I really allowed myself to be crucified in Christ, um, now I can say that God is my father. And now I'm choosing to do the deeds of my father, who is now Jesus. And so when I do the deeds of my father that look like him, what does the Bible talk about that? It says that men will see your good works and glorify who? Your father in heaven. So if they see my good works, are they going to give the devil credit for that? No, because good works do not issue from him. So... I need us to understand that that heritage part is what we're compromising when we think that we can blend the two and do things that, which we're not harping on necessarily in this chapter, but like I talked about in the beginning, which when you think of Galatians, you first think of the fruit of the spirit and the works of the flesh. Well, we can go down that whole thing of the, the works of the flesh, but when you get down to the uh, end of those descriptions of the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, and then it says, and such like. That part right there is the part a lot of us like to skip and not really include because the Bible could be exhaustive because yeah. we know that God spoke things from the beginning, right? Because he knows the end from the beginning. And he could have said cigarette smoking, weed smoking, crack. Yeah. He could have went down the line yeah. 4,000 years ago and put all that in there. But he did not have to do that because he already knew that the people who are his were going to receive his word and they weren't going to try to argue and justify it and negotiate it, mm, okay? And they weren't going to just accept it and, like, automatically know this is the fruit of somebody who is of God and this is the fruit of somebody who's not of God. So he already said, and such like, because anything like these things, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Did I write that? No. Look in your Bible and see if it says that, okay? That's what the book says. So we cannot compromise the heritage and think that we can do the things of the world and the the things of the devil and think that you can't claim him as your father because the Lord's going to look at you and be like, I don't know you. Because mm. it says, now that we truly know him and are intimately known by him. So we can say we know who he is, but... He didn't know us at that time. Like, he knows everything because he's God. And I want us to not be ignorant right now. Like, let's not be ignorant. Let's really be mature-minded here. God knows all of us. But in this instance, we're talking about we truly know God. It's not like he's a celebrity where it's like, yeah, I know who he is. Like, you know him by name. You don't know him by relationship. Like, you can't call Johnny Depp today and be like, have a conversation with Johnny Depp today. You can't call any one of your favorite sports figures and be like on the phone with them and having a conversation today, right? You know who they are, but you don't know them and they definitely don't know you. And even if they saw you once, they don't intimately know you. This is a knowing of both sides, an intimate knowledge, okay? God knows you because 
you have allowed yourself to be followers of him, to be someone who is trying to be like him. Because he said, many are going to say, Lord, Lord, in that day, and I'm going to tell them, I did these things in your name, I did these things in your name, and blah, blah, blah. He's going to say, I never knew you. He knew who you were, but he was never in relationship with you. Right. That's your part. That yeah. ain't his part. He was always there standing at the door ready for you. He was always there welcoming you, waiting for you to come to him. So that's not an on, like you said, salvation was his part, sanctification is yours. The yes. relationship is your part, too, because he says, draw nigh unto me, and I'll draw nigh to you. I never left. He said, I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. I've been in the same place I've been at. Mm. You left me. So I'm going to leave that and let you uh, throw some commentary in here. But what do you have for that that portion here for compromising the heritage? I'm just going to read one scripture. I'm going to try to be super brief. So don't play with me because I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Do your thing, sir. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just going to read Romans 8. Uh, and, and I wasn't going to read Romans 8, 1 and 2, but then you kept talking. I'm like, you know, I'm going to go to 6. So <laughs> I'm going to let the scripture speak and I'm going to try to not say nothing. Uh, Romans 8, 1 and 2. Uh, I, I think for me, the contrast is obviously slavery versus freedom. And it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Everything you just said. So then, for those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mind of the... Of, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God for it does not subject itself to the law of God is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I said six, but I'm already on nine. I don't even know how I got there. However, <laughs> you are not in the Go flesh, but it. in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, that if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Everything you just said is right there. So I'm not wow. even going to add to that. I'm just going to leave it right there. <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna leave it there <laughs> you have me in the middle like i'm literally out here trying to like pause reference the right notes right now so i mean <laughs> this is amazing <laughs> okay um we're just gonna let the lord's spirit flow because it's clearly flowing um we'll move on to the mind chapter five i already referenced um a lot of the fame that we know this this book for, but that's not what I really wanted to, um, you know, dwell on because that's something we richly should know by now. Um, so, like I said, for this one, it's a compromise of the mind, chapter five. I'm just going to read verses one and then seven through ten. And one says, um, it was for this freedom, which you just talked about, that Christ set us free, completely liberating us. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery, which you once removed. Um, verse 7 through 10 says, you were running the race well. Who has hindered, interfered, and prevented you from obeying the truth? This deceptive persuasion is not from him who called you to freedom in Christ. A little leaven, a slight inclination to error, or a few false teachers, leavens the whole batch, leavens the whole lump. 
It perverts the concept of faith and misleads the church. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from false, from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. So um, what I just really want to, um, you know, plant out here is the fact that the compromise is in the mind and these seeds that are sown are going to be deposits of words or concepts, beliefs, gospels, or lack thereof that are planted in your mind, your heart, and your spirit. And these things, you um, have the power to either allow them to enslave you if it is not the truth, or you have the power to stand firm, which is what he's urging you to do. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30, this is Jesus talking. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that came to me because, you know, um, Paul was talking to a certain audience, and these particular people were ta- talking about getting these people to go back to the the stringent things of the law, the works of the law in order to be perfected. Um, we know that there were um, different people that were just trying to, um, like Pharisees that would try to, to, in 23 of Matthew, that were trying to get the people to do all these various things. And Jesus rebuked them too. And he said, you know, you say these things, you tell them to do these things, and you don't even lift a finger to do half the stuff you're telling them to do. You're making them twice as hell of hell as you are. You know, he just went off on them in chapter 23 of Matthew. Hmm. Um, but the point is, he's saying, um, the yoke that I have is easy and the burden I have is light. So even though you're going to go through things, and I can't say this enough because we're always going to go through things um, as long as we're on this earth until we get to heaven. We're always going to go through things. But he says, like, it's a guarantee. Like, in this world you shall have tribulation. So be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Um, he's told us these things in advance, but he's prepared us through the word of God. He never presents a challenge to us that we're unprepared for. We might not have been prepared yesterday for it. It could have been something he gave us equipment for three months ago, a year ago, whatever. But he's going to give us um, the equipment that we need in order to pass each challenge, each trial that we face. And even things that catch us off guard, they don't catch God off guard. He's always available to us. That's why it's important to have a relationship with him so that no matter what you go through, even if you feel like you're not even able to reach back into the file cabinet, you have instant access to God through prayer and communication. Like, he's always available to you. Um, so he shouldn't just be someone you call out to once every blue moon or just when things go down. Um, you know, and even just like an examples of when I was reading through uh, the Gospels and it's talking about how the, the disciples were out here and, you know, people are bringing their people to them and they can't cast out devils and they can't do these things. And they're like, well, why isn't it working for us? He's like, because of your unbelief. Like, you know, and then not only that, like, these don't come out except by prayer and by fasting. So there's certain things that we have to have built ourselves up for that you can't you can't go on a fast today for something you need today. Like you need to have already had a lifestyle of fasting and prayer before this particular challenge gets before you. And so that's just that first part. And then the second part is um, God's yoke being easy. When we talked about the yoke before, what that thing is, for those who haven't heard previously on previous episodes, it's a device that would connect two um, oxen together or two working animals in the field together. So you're basically putting yourself in this device or you're being put in this device to work 
a field or to be attached to this um, other creature to do something together. Now, if you're talking about relationship, we often hear about people being unequally yoked. Um, relationships, it's always common. They say don't, uh, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So they're encouraging you not to um, marry someone who is not a believer if you are a believer. That's unequally yoked. But and we're talking in this aspect, we're talking about us being yoked with the Lord. So he's saying, my yoke is easy. Take my yoke and learn from me. So we're, we have been yoked um, to the devil. We had been yoked to evil. And that was not an easy burden. That was not a light burden. Um, as a matter of fact, everything I can think of prior to surrendering my life to God was immensely more difficult because I did not happen when I think about the things that I went through back then prior you know now that I have the different challenges I can count since then um and even if they are worse comparatively speaking it's still lighter because I'm with him it's a whole difference when you are with the Lord than when you're not Hmm. there's just such more of a tremendous power that's available to you um so then this comes into that point that I kind of mentioned in the first chapter in verse 7 through 10 where he said, well, you did run well. Like, you were running well at the beginning. But who hindered you? We already said that he knew who it was, but he's asking them now to consider themselves and what happened. Like, you were running so well. Like, I was commending you all for the faith. I was so proud of you at first. Like, what happened? Who has now interfered and hindered you from obeying the truth? And he continues this to say, like, the persuasion that you now have, and I know that we talked about I am persuaded in that uh, Philippians, I believe it was. Uh, I am persuaded. You have to be persuaded for yourself. But he's saying this persuasion that has come to you is deceptive. It is not from God who called you. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. That leaven, we know when Jesus was talking to his disciples, was the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, um, doctrines of devils, anything that is a different gospel than the truth, anything that is um, taking you away or distorting the word of God that is presented to you. He said in this instance it was inclination, a slight inclination to error or a few false teachers. It messes up the whole batch. Can you just imagine if we're talking about... Um, your faith being a loaf or of of dough in a bin, and then you put a little bit of yeast in that dough. You do know it doesn't take anything. Like a molecule of yeast is still touching that dough. It's going to spread to the whole batch. So he's saying a little bit is dangerous. You cannot let that happen. And so he's saying to you, that it will pervert the concept of truth and it will mislead the church if you allow it in. Like, if you allow that in. So that's why he continued to say, like, we didn't yield to them. We stood firm, and we're encouraging you to do the same thing. And I'm trusting God to keep you from believing false teachings. I am trusting the Lord. I'm committing you to the hands of God because at this point, like, you know better. I've given you all that I can give you. You know the truth. And God is going to judge whoever that is that's doing what they're doing and saying what they're saying. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's you have to be very wary of what and who is speaking into your mind, you're not going to be able to stop false teachings from being put out there. But he's saying, I want you to be kept from believing them. You should be able to recognize the truth from error. Um, so what is your thought on that whole compromise of the mind concept? Um, yeah, um, I go back to Colossians 3, 2. 
Um, it says, set your mind on things above and not, not on things that are on the earth. Um, I, <laughs> as we were going through this right now, as, as you were talking, and again, I'm taking a ton of notes. So um, <laughs> something I just noticed right now is the first four chapters was doctrine and the last two chapters were application of what he just said. So as we kind of switched over to, <laughs> to chapter five, um, now he's basically talking about, okay, so, you know, we went into chapter one talking about, you know, what, what, what the gospel is. And, you know, we talked about not, not compromising the faith, the fellowship, all of that. Like now we're at the point of now you're talking about the mind and then we'll see what, what chapter six goes into, but now it translates to you. So everything else was like, what do you know about the truth? And then now it's like, now that you know the truth and now that you, you should be knowing the truth, which you just, you know, pointed out seven through nine or seven through 10 rather. Now it's, you have to exercise your mind to now think about what it is that you need to be focused on. So obviously Galatians five talks about the spirit, you know, walking in the spirit and the fruit of the spirit and all of that. What I love about this particular passage, uh, especially when it gets into the fruit of the spirit is that, we have to think about doing something like when we say, okay, like how do we prevent ourselves from walking in the flesh? You know, the Bible says walk in the spirit. Like, and I know I've said this before, like it gets super, super practical and I know it's hard to live that out, but it begins super practical to think about the fact that you have to walk in the spirit. Now it's not just enough to say, okay, I know the Lord, like I'm good, but you have to like daily crucify yourself and pick up your cross and follow him which means you have to actually make an active um, decision i think you said that word earlier to actually follow christ to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh so that's kind of what was really hanging out to me um in looking at this um and you know my mind goes back to philippians 4 obviously you know whatever things are, are true lovely you know think on these things mm-hmm I would say, um, you know, because I, I use the, the passage in Colossians 3, I would just ask the question, what do you think about and do you think with the mind of the spirit? And because of the fact that we're talking about compromising the mind, not specifically just thinking about things that are great, but there is a compromise, which means that our flesh would be that compromise. Um, does it grieve you when you sin? Because... I think you have to start to think about the fact that, okay, like, I think we were talking earlier about playing with grace, like, we're, we're, we know we're imperfect. Um, you know, the passage in Galatians 5 verse 4 says, you have been severed from Christ. I'm sorry, verse 3, um, before getting into 4, says, and I testify again to every man who, who receives circumcision. So again, that's what, that's what their, their argument was, that he... So whoever receives circumcision, he is under obligation to keep the whole law. And it says, you have been severed with Christ, verse 4. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. So why I bring that up is because if you don't allow yourself to be perfected in Christ, you'll have to always be perfect indeed. So the fact that he's trying to tell them that it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Like, and you, you talked about like not being a yoke of slavery is because if you choose to abide by the law, you're going to always have to be perfect then, which means you have to strive to do everything as according mm -hmm. to the law. And we know there's <laughs> hundreds um, of, yeah. of laws in the old Testament that they could not keep. Um, and we saw the fruits of that, but because we have Christ, basically he's saying walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill all these things that you're thinking you have to keep perfect. Like, are we going to fail at times? Absolutely. 
But again, we read Romans 8 earlier, it says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're continually forcing yourself to walk towards Christ, Christ will, will perfect himself in you and you will see yourself, obviously, you won't be sinless, but you'll sin less. And I think that you're trying to be sinless, which is impossible, especially apart from Christ. So you're now hanging your hat and your confidence on things that are apart from Christ instead of hanging your hat on Christ. And so I, I would then say to you then, because we know we're not perfect, are you grieved by the fact that you're you're not perfect and that you, you fall short? And what do you do with that? And so I would say again, those things should be pointing you back to the fact that you need the Spirit of God and that should help you to walk and have the fulfillment of the Spirit. Because it says... If you walk in the spirit, you won't do these things. But then it says mm -hmm. the fruit of the spirit is these things. So your fruit, you should be desiring the fruit of the spirit, not necessarily just saying, I don't want to be like this. So I think that just like not just being defensive and, and saying, like, I'm just going to try to defend sin and try to defeat it on my own. <laughs> your fruit right. actually should be love, joy, peace, patience. So it actually yeah. is summed up in how you love people, not necessarily just like, OK, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to smoke again. Like you said that's a natural byproduct that you shouldn't have a desire to do those things because you're mm -hmm. now filled with the spirit and you are a temple of the Holy spirit. So that's a, a healthy and great byproduct, but he doesn't necessarily say when he talks about the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is a person who doesn't smoke. The fruit of the spirit is a person who doesn't cuss. Like exactly. that's great. You know what I'm saying? But he actually says like, I even want to get even further, which is your heart. Like deeds are important because the Bible says faith, what works is dead, but your heart is what actually translates to you actually looking like Christ, not necessarily just somebody who doesn't do these things. So by yeah. trying to complete the law, you actually don't even look like Christ because you're you're completing the law by saying, okay, where's it say I can't, you know, drink alcohol? Okay, I'm, I'm not going to do that. But like you said, beautifully, but you're cursing people out and you're being angry and you're being, you know, <laughs> like, so you're, you're fulfilling the law so, like, pointedly that you're actually missing the entire thing, which is like, Where's your heart? <laughs> you, know what I'm saying? Like, uh -huh. you don't even have a heart to do those things. You're just feeling like, okay, the speed limit says go 35, so I'm going to go 35. But really inside, you yeah. want to go 65. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So like really, wow. your heart is not to be obedient to the law. You just don't want to get in trouble. So unless your Come heart on. changes, like the fact that your heart actually is for God keeps you from trouble because now you actually have a desire for the person who actually wrote the law who says, don't do these things. So now you're not just being obedient to a law. You actually have a heart that's obedient to the individual who actually allows you to now perfect the law by loving him. So wow. a, a lot can definitely be said about that. But I think mentally, like, we focus so much on trying not to do something instead of just saying, like, I can't do it even without you. So how much of the spirit right. do we focus on? And does it grieve you when you're not doing those things? So I think that's really where the rubber meets the road is like, yeah. we don't think a little leaven destroys that whole batch. So we're cool yeah. with the little leaven <laughs> because it's not a lot of leaven. It's a little wow. bit. So until we get to the fact that we understand it a little bit, like holiness is not optional, which means every single piece of us has to come under the subjection of the Holy Spirit. And I think we don't want to give God. We think 99 and a half is, is okay. And that one little half of percentage is really what right. changes the trajectory of, are we going to completely be like Christ? Um, and I actually had a conversation with somebody last night and I said, okay, so somebody who's been saved 10 years, like, you know, that first 10 years are probably like, you know, trying to get the bearings and trying to figure things out. You know, they're learning the doctrines and the disciplines and all that. And so you see a progression of maturity. But then what happens after that? Like, what do you think the goal for the rest of your life is? Like becoming mm -hmm. more like Christ. So I think what happens is that we get to a certain level where we stop becoming like Christ because 
we've kind of graduated beyond looking like a heathen. So we're comfortable with what little bit of us looks like Christ that we don't continue to run towards Christ after a level of maturity that appeases man, if you will. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just tell everybody, including you right now, this is about to be like, you know how we did James last year, this year. This is definitely a revisited book. We are really about to go in in the future on this book. So just get ready, you know, because there is so much in here that, I mean, I knew there was a lot in it before we got here in this moment. But like, this is really crazy right now. So just get ready. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing some extras here, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, gosh. Well, to shut it down and to wrap it up, um, chapter six is um, the compromise of the seed. And so I've already kind of um, mentioned that a little bit. And just a lot of your references right now just, you were all within everything I wanted to say, so I may not even say what I thought I was going to um, have in my head because it wasn't written anyway. It was just thoughts I had. Um, But I just want to look at verses 7 through 9 and then verse 16. And it says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. I need to rewind that and say it again for those in the back that didn't hear that Mm. part. (laughs) Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death Mm. from that sinful nature. Yes, I'm reading it slow so it can sink in and marinate for you. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Before I go to verse 9, you need to understand that you listening and me saying this, we both are one of these people. You're either living to satisfy your own sinful nature or you're living to please the Spirit. And if you're living to please the Spirit, it's not in a compromising state. It's not negotiating, not accommodating. It's literally what is the Lord saying and let me work to implement that, period. There's no trying, only doing, okay? Verse 9 says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. Not trying to do what's good. Doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. I have to put that in there because for those of you who haven't heard child period, you need to go back into the episode list and listen to child period. Um, Trying is not part of what needs to be part of your vocabulary when it comes to executing um, the practice of holiness and righteousness or evil. Because you don't try to do evil, you just do evil. I've never heard anybody say, let me try to steal. The only reason you're unsuccessful is because you quit or you got caught while you were doing it or something happened to snag that attempt. But you don't try to do sin, you just actually do it. When you are intent on doing that evil that you want to do, you do it. When fornication is happening, you don't make an attempt to fornicate. You fornicate. (laughs) You know, like when you're trying to smoke, there's no effort of trying. You literally get the stuff you need to get and you do it. The only way you're trying is you're trying to learn how to smoke when you don't know how to. You know, like there aren't attempts at evil. You just do it. So it's the same thing when it comes to righteousness. We don't try. We practice it by doing. And how do you practice how to do things that you don't know how to do? Well, 
I don't know if any of you have been in a fitness class or in a gym that has a room with a mirror in there, but I go to a fitness class as often as my schedule allows that has a mirror on the front side and the instructor is at the front of the class. So when that person is doing a move, they are standing in front of us to model what it is that they want us to do. And so even if you're a first-timer to that class or somebody who's just new to this particular type of fitness, um, they are showing you the way so that you can pick up by doing what I'm doing. Follow the leader. So you practice by doing. And the more that you continue to come back and you continue to practice by doing, the more affluent in that thing that you become, right? So you don't practice by trying. You're not trying you're doing it because you're in the act of modeling what you see. You're doing the deeds of the person that you're following. So you're imitating them as they're following whatever, right? So I hope I'm making this picture very clear that trying is not acceptable. It's just not acceptable. It's not acceptable. There, it's not negotiable. Trying is not even anywhere that it's going to be accepted even in the conversation, okay? It's very clear here. There's only two things. So you're, you need to make a, a mental and conscious decision of who are you living to satisfy. And even as you're reflecting on this verse, as you hear it, as you're seeing it with your own eyes right now, you need to kind of consider, and like to this moment right now, have I been only living to satisfy my own sinful nature to this point right now? Or have I been living or... You know, um, have I been intentional about living to please the spirit to this moment right now? Because guess what? If the answer is that you have been living to satisfy your own sinful nature and you don't like that, you have the opportunity as, as I speak right now to change that. We all have the opportunity to change that. You have the opportunity to live to please the spirit right now. And the, the beautiful thing is, God says in Ephesians chapter 5 that you are now clean by the word that I speak to you. You are now clean by the word. This is actually, sorry, John chapter 15. You are now, you are clean by the word that I speak to you. And in Ephesians 5, he says that we're clean with the washing of the water of the word. So by the word that God speaks to you, you're being made clean. This is an opportunity to renew yourself in him and begin your transformation process if you seek to live a life that pleases the spirit. And by that, he says, you will reap everlasting life from that path. But if you're only thinking about yourself and you're being real with it and you know that this is where you are and if you intend to stay in this path, I want you to know the word is saying this. You will reap decay and death from that. And so... He's also encouraged you by saying, don't get weary of doing good because in the proper time in due season, you're going to reap if you don't give up. The reason why we don't reap most of the time is because we give up before the reaping comes around because we waited too long. And that fruit of the spirit where it talks about patience, we don't want to wait for things. We want things when we want it. And he's taking too long to work in my life. He's taking too long for me to see the seeds or the results or whatever it is I'm expecting out of this, it's taking too long. So I'm just going to stop doing good because what am I doing good for? It's not doing me any good to keep doing good because, I mean, I don't even see you know, any change. Mm -hmm. But he's encouraging you to not give up 
in doing good because you will reap. God is not mocked. It is a law that he has settled, period, that what is sown is going to be reaped. So if you plant good, you're going to get good. And what you plant here, you may not receive it from the same source, but you're going to receive it somewhere. Whatever you sow, you are going to reap. So if you're sowing evil, don't think that you can sow evil and reap good. And don't think that you can sow good and God be not himself and be not faithful and repay you evil for you sowing good. He doesn't do that. And finally, I'm just going to give you verse 16, which says, Peace and mercy be upon all who walk by this rule, who discipline themselves and who conduct their lives by this principle. And I just want to cut it off at that point because in the beginning he talked about grace and peace. He's always talking about that when he greets people. But just like you had talked about the laws of the land and the ordinances, you know, there's 613, as they say, according to the Jewish custom. We can't even remember, I mean, if somebody can remember 20 of the laws of the land in America, much less 100, (laughs) there was 613 they had to know in order to follow them. Are you serious? But he's saying all who walk by this rule, disciplining themselves and conducting their lives by this principle. All God is expecting you to do is that when you encounter his words, that you are willing to hear, to receive it, and agree with him. And by agreeing with him, you will then implement and obey. That's all he's asking you to do. And by that, not allowing yourself to compromise what you hear, no matter how it falls. That's the beautiful thing about knowing that God is God and he's right. Knowing that God is God and he's right means that let God be true and every man be a liar. And every man includes you. (laughs) (laughs) Every man includes me. That means when you look in the mirror, every man is me. Okay. (laughs) Let God be true and every man a liar. So if God is right, no matter how it feels, When you talked about, does it hurt? Does it uh, grieve me when I sin? Absolutely it does. Absolutely your feelings should be hurt. Absolutely you should feel a burning on the inside. But it's not a condemnation that like, oh my gosh, am I in danger of going to hell tonight? No, but you should get, you should feel like, man, I, I need to get my together. I can't do this. Mm -hmm. Like, man, I was wrong. And not not let that fester and and allow it to have room to grow and to breed. Like, it can't do that. You have to be a person that when you encounter the word, if it's something that, like, stepped on your personal toes, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. Even Mm -hmm. if people were around or not, that's still between you and the Holy Spirit. And you should be real enough with yourself to be like, okay, Lord, amen. Okay, let this transform me. Let this change my mind. That's how your mind is renewed. Because if you thought one way and you encounter it in the word, you now have to shift your thinking to align with his ways and his thoughts and his truth, period. And as we align our lives with him, we start to become more and more like him. We start to see that our deeds are evil. We start to see that our ways were not like him. We start to see that we're not kind the way that he's kind. We start to see that we're not merciful the way that he's merciful we start to see how we can become more the nature and the character of him. So I hope all of that makes sense, but that's all I really have for you um, as it 
pertains to compromising the seed. What was your thought on that last chapter? Yeah, you said you said a mouthful, and so I, I won't belabor the point, um, but I, I want to just maybe hit another um, cross-reference just to kind of accent that because, um, yeah, it was really good. Um, John 15, you kind of hinted at uh, verse 3. I'm just going to read verse 1, 2, and 8. Um, and it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. And the verse eight, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So I say that one because when you uh, read Galatians six, verse seven through nine, um, you were talking about that you harvest what you plant. And so if you're um, if you're sowing by the spirit, you're going to reap the spirit, you're going to reap life. So I like this because when you talk about pruning and it's not something that's popular, but it's necessary, um, it says every branch that does not bear fruit. He prunes so that you can bear more fruit. <laughs> so that's not saying that you're not fruitful. But again, going back to, you know, the not being weary of, of doing good. He wants you to bear fruit. So he's going to take away things as long as you're continuing to walk in the spirit that uh-huh. do not look like him so that you can be more fruitful. Because you might have areas that you do have fruit, but in other areas it's rotten and we need to chuck that so that you are fruitful in the areas that you don't appear to be fruitful. So Uh that's not a matter of, again, we talked about sinning less. This is what this looks like. So it's not saying you have to be perfect, but when you're not perfect and there's things that God wants to perfect, he does that by way of pruning and you have to be sensitive to allowing him to do that. So it says that he's glorified when you bear much fruit. And the only way that you're going to bear much fruit is by being pruned (laughs) and allowing him to to do this. So I'll leave that piece there, but... I would say the contrast to compromising the seed is being willing to pluck. Are you willing to allow things to be plucked? Because if you don't pluck the weeds and the things that don't look good, you're not going to bear the image that God wants you to bear. And so my, I guess, advice or my my final word would be that a farmer never gets tired of growing fruit. Like that's the goal is for you to to bear fruit. So you should never get tired and and as you read the scripture that let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap. We might not know what that fruit looks like, but we have to understand that God is the vine dresser and God, it's God's tree. So if we were a temple of the Holy spirit, mm-hmm. the fruit doesn't need to look like it's not our fruit. We right. are, we are commanded to bear fruit. We are uh, gifted to bear fruit. Like Ephesians two ten says, like we were created for these good works. And so if we're doing good, we're bearing fruit by way of, allowing God to be glorified one because we're bearing fruit but two because Matthew 5:16 says when you let your light shine that men see God and glorify him so he's glorified and mm-hmm. equipping you to do good so that other people can see him so because of that cycle he wants to perfect you the fruit might not look like what you want it to look like but that's because you're seeing natural and carnal fruit not necessarily fruit that glorifies God so i would say as a kind of just a final parting word is don't ever get tired of being right because when you're growing fruit and bearing fruit, you're actually pleasing the Lord, which it pleases him to be able to grow and add to the church because you're growing. So when you grow in godliness, it actually grows people. It actually adds to the church by you being godly. So I would say Mm. don't be weary. Um, 
for in due season you will reap. But then just finally with verse 10, it says, so then, so as a result of him encouraging you in that, it says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So your goodness is for God's glory and not necessarily for you to look like you're very fruitful for yourself. Because then again, you're pleasing man, which like you said, everyone, you are man, even when you're trying to please yourself, your goal should be to please God because we're just the branches. I'll leave it at that. Wow. Well, God, we thank you um, for this word, um, just for the beautiful richness that is in your entire word, um, but also that you shared with us through this book of Galatians. And we just pray that we can be people who will not compromise. We just come against any um, thing that has tried to infiltrate our spirits. And and we pray for those that um, do need to battle against compromise, allowing compromise in their lives. We want to be vigilant like Paul was, where he's praying to, you know, on behalf of them and for them, that they would stand in the truth and that they would have eyes to see and be able to discern the truth from error. And those who are false brethren and those who are false teachers and those who are just presenting false um, attempts at twisting the word of God. And so we just pray that you would strengthen us, um, gird us with your truth and help us, Lord, to just delight in your word that we can grow by it, that we can be strengthened by it, that we can be fed and nurtured by it, Lord. Um, we just pray that we um, are just covered in all of these areas that we talked about, the gospel, the fellowship, the faith, the heritage, the mind and the seed, that we can just be faithful with the seeds that you have sown in our lives that we can bear fruit for you um, that will remain and that we will cooperate with your spirit working on the inside of us to prune where it needs to be pruned and to um, accept the sharpening from other brothers and sisters that you've placed in our lives that we can glean and grow from. So we are just grateful to you, Lord, just for this opportunity, for this word, and for what you will have for us in the future from what this word will uh, do in our lives that we will reap hereafter. We love you so much, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Her Bro, His Sis. Catch your favorite siblings each month as we talk to you, our family in Christ. Want to chat or just stay in the know? Catch us on Facebook and Instagram at Her Bro, His Sis.